John today. We've been going through the book of 1 John for something like three months or something like that. And uh, the Lord has blessed the study. I hope he has for you. I know he has for me. So the plan today is we're going to look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 to 21. And I know that sounds ambitious, but a little bit we looked at this last time. If you remember two weeks ago, we studied about the topic of whoever believes in him, whoever believes in Jesus. And last week, of course, we had our Gospel Emphasis Sunday. And I think that went really well. God bless that, of course. Um, so now we're going to get back into 1 John and, Lord willing, finish that book. But if, if one of those things happen and I just end up cutting off, biting off too much that I can actually get to, then no stress. We'll get to it in the new year. I just thought it'd be nice and clean if we could end on the last Sunday of December. So we'll see if we could pull that off today. Have you ever found something hard to believe? Think about it. Have you ever found something hard to believe? I have. I've shared the story with you countless times of the day that I heard we were having identical twins. And that was hard to believe because when you have something that's hard to believe, generally it goes against the grain of everything that is normal in your life, right? I didn't expect going to an ultrasound to hear that there were two babies inside of my wife. But that news was, was told to me that day. And honestly, today I'm still finding that hard to believe, even though those guys are four and a half years old. Uh, it's hard to believe that we have twins. So that news, wow, that really shook me. But obviously it's real. Uh, next thing I'm going to share with you is when I first started my job here at Wyoming Valley Church, it was like two days after this that we heard that Wilkesbury had a tornado come through. You guys remember that, right? A tornado come right through the shopping district and kind of clear a lot of stores out, unfortunately. And that was hard to believe because I had grown up in northeast Pennsylvania my entire life. And I can't even remember a tornado landing anywhere near us and doing damage. Now, generally, there were tornado warnings. And that, what that really meant is there were high winds and rain and stuff like that. But the fact that a tornado actually came through Wilkesbury was a little hard to believe until you saw the damage, right? Until you drove up there and realized, oh, yeah, yeah that was definitely a tornado that came through. So that was a thing, another, another hard thing to believe. Here's another example of that. When I was in Michigan living with Janine, we had just got married. Uh, we were living in the Parsonage. You guys know what that is? It's like a building owned by the church. And we were living in that Parsonage for a couple years. And this is a really strange story. In fact, I, I kind of hope that there's some in the crowd who can help me solve this mystery because it's been a mystery ever since this happened. I really can't explain this. But uh, one night, late at night, actually it was like early in the morning. It was like 3 or 4 o'clock on a Thursday morning, okay, pitch black. Quiet, generally speaking. Janine and I were laying in bed, out cold, of course, and there was a noise that was so loud that it took us from dead asleep to standing awake. It was so loud. And I couldn't believe what the noise was. I, guess I, was, out, I was out asleep, I was out cold, and this noise just rattled us awake. And so Janine and I are now standing, wondering, what is this noise that we just heard? Because it was so loud and abrupt. And then we realized that the sound was still going on, but it's not what we thought it was. We thought someone was pounding on the door, either trying to get in or trying to warn us that the building was on fire or something like that. But we heard the sound again, and the next sound that we heard was actually above us. And we lived on a two-story house, and we were on the top story of this house at the moment. So that means that the noise was on our roof. And it wasn't December, you know, it wasn't December 24th. Couldn't have been Santa unless he was belated. But this noise was, was loud, and it sounded like stomping on top of our roof. And I had no explanation for this whatsoever. And I started to talk to Janine, going, uh, do you hear this? Is this above us? Is this someone on our roof or something on our roof? So I'm, I'm trying to look outside the windows of our house, trying to figure out, you know, what's going on out here. And I didn't see a thing. It was pitch black. It seemed quiet on the streets. But there was this really loud stomping noise on our roof. And that was really hard for me to believe that this was actually happening. And all of a sudden, we heard like something or someone sliding down the roof because the roof had kind of a slanted part. And then the noise was over. Gone. And I'm looking out the windows. I'm trying to see if there's anybody or anything running away from the house. And I couldn't see a thing. Isn't that a strange story? <laughs> so if you, if you want to, come help me solve that mystery. So people have assumed that maybe it was just a large raccoon. Something like that, but it was a really loud noise, Lou. It would have to be a really, really big thing. Maybe, maybe teenagers had gotten up on a roof somehow and just decided to, who, do, who knows what up there. Uh, but anyways, that's a mystery. And that was something that I still have find hard to believe that that actually happened. And sometimes I ask Janine, did that actually happen or did we dream that? She goes, Todd, it actually happened. We both heard it. 
Did you ever have something that you found hard to believe? Well, we're going to title our lessons today, Convinced About Jesus. Convinced About Jesus. And I want to direct your attention now to 1 John 5, verses 6 to 21. And I know that's ambitious, but we're going to do our best to get to all of this today. This is what John says. Listen to the word of God. It says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we, know that we, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that does lead to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in the eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Interesting passage here. There's a couple head scratchers as you'll make your way through the end of 1 John here, but I think it all ties together very well, and I think it goes together with the entire book very well as well, and I'm going to hope to show that to you. Let's look at the beginning of the passage, okay? John says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. You see, John, as we've been looking through the book of 1 John, has a testimony, a first-hand testimony of Jesus. He saw him. He spent time with him. He was around him. He saw the miracles. He saw his teaching, heard his teaching. He was around Jesus Christ all the time. So John had this great first-hand testimony of Jesus. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't third party. John actually saw it and heard it and felt it. So John's testimony and all the apostles' testimony of Jesus Christ is a really powerful and great sign of who Jesus is. But as we learn from the text, there's a testimony that is even greater than that. God's. God's testimony of Jesus is greater than those who even saw Jesus firsthand with their eyes. And we want to look at that. We want to focus here quickly on the significance of Jesus. And I'm going to do my best today that if you're not already convinced about Jesus, that you will be by the time you leave here today. See, Jesus came by God's decree. God's decree. It was God's plan to save the earth and to use his son as the agent of salvation. You know that, right? It's not like God is this mean, overbearing father and that Jesus is the loving version of God. So Jesus decided to come on his own will and accord. That's not what happened. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. So God is the one who decided to send Jesus to this earth. So God's testimony begins right there. Jesus, you're going to be the savior of the world. You're going to save my people from their sins because I love them and I don't want to see them die. But then John says something a little interesting here. It says Jesus came by water and by blood. And I thought about this. I did some digging. I did some searching. I did some wrestling with this. Jesus came by these two significant elements so that you and I could be cleansed and restored. And these things are really important, and I want to focus on these things for a couple moments here. It says Jesus came by water. Well, what does that mean, that Jesus came by water? Well, as many of you know who have ever cleaned anything, water is useful, isn't it? 
There's a thing called dry cleaning out there that I literally have no idea what that is. I heard an old comedian say it's like getting something off with your fingernail. Is that what dry cleaning is? Um, but there is something called dry cleaning. But generally when you clean something, water is very, very useful, isn't it? Well, Jesus came to cleanse. He came to clean something. And that something was our souls because they had been stained. Stained by something called sin. And Jesus came with water. And this water isn't the physical water you're thinking of. It's inward, holy, soul water that does the cleansing work within the soul to heal us from our sins. And it's, it's significant because without that water, we can't be cleansed. We can't be made new creatures unless that stain is removed and that stain is sin. And I know that's a little hard to wrap our minds around going, well, Jesus came with water? Yes, he did. And physical water, you have to remember that everything God created physically represents something spiritually. So although you see the physical world with your eyes, there's something that this physical world is pointing to. And although you and I know what, what it's like to have water and use water each and every day, Jesus came with spiritual water. And that water came to cleanse us and heal us and to remove this really tough stain called sin. I mean, you've never seen a stain like this before. This stain does not come out easily. Jesus came by water. He came to cleanse us. He came to heal us. But he had to come in water. Water is a significant element. The next thing he says is he came with blood. Jesus came by water and by blood. Blood is significant because it's the payment of our sins to God. Jesus couldn't just remove the stain. He had to pay for the sin too. So Jesus came by blood. He came with the shedding and the spilling of his own blood in order that God's legal demands and law could be satisfied. So that God's law would be honored and thereby his name would be glorified. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Did you know that? With, unless Jesus shed his blood, unless Jesus died on the cross, even the water wouldn't have been enough to cleanse us because there has to be a payment for that sin. And that payment was Jesus' blood that he spilled out for us. And Jesus, on the cross, I don't want to be too gory here, but he bled a lot. He bled a lot. He bled from his head with a crown of thorns that was placed into his skull. He bled from the nails and the whippings and the scourgings. He bled, of course, from the cross and the dying. Jesus came by water and by blood, and all of those things were for our benefit so that we could find cleansing and forgiveness. And I want you to notice this verse from the crucifixion. And I, I always wondered, what does this mean? And maybe this is what it means. Look at John 19, 34. It says, one of the soldiers pierced his side. This is right when Jesus had died, right after he had died. Pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Do you notice that? Blood and water. And that's significant. That's not just a random event. That's not just a medical thing going on. It is showing and revealing to us that Jesus came with both elements. Cleansing water and forgiving blood. And aren't you thankful for that today? Aren't you thankful that you have cleansing from your sin and forgiveness of your sin? You do, if you know Jesus. And so John goes on to say there's actually three things that testify about Jesus. I've mentioned the three, but we're going to look at these once again. He says uh, three things testify about Jesus being the Son of God and the Messiah, and they all agree with one another. It is the water, the blood, and the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit is God's truth about Jesus. Everything that is recorded here in the scriptures testify about the Son of God. And this agrees with the water, it agrees with the blood, and it agrees with the apostles' testimony of Jesus. They all agree. This is a very significant testimony that God is sharing with us today. So God's testimony about Jesus is better than man's. And you have to understand, that is a significant testimony that John was able to say, I saw it, I heard it, I felt it, I was there. But God's testimony is greater than man's because God's testimony is incapable of being perverted. It's infallible. It cannot be perverted, it cannot be false. God's testimony stands true at all times. Because God cannot lie. Did you know that? He cannot lie. I am able to lie. You are able to lie. But God cannot. So God's testimony of Jesus Christ is true. 
It has to be because God cannot lie. There's zero possibility of Jesus being a fraud because God's entire reputation is upon the testimony of Jesus Christ. That if Jesus is a fraud, God is a fraud. But God's entire testimony is upon his son, Jesus Christ, and it's infallible. It's incapable of being false or perverted. And to me, that brings me a lot of assurance, doesn't it to you? That although, I, you know, man, maybe, maybe John put it down wrong on paper. Maybe it was translated wrong. Maybe someone misheard John's testimony and it got into Scripture that way. But that's not true because this is God's testimony within the pages of Scripture. And I hope you believe that. So God's word is even, even a, big, a better testimony than your pastor. I want you to find it from Scripture that Jesus' testimony is the greatest thing there is. So John goes on to say that whoever believes in Jesus has God's testimony within them. If you believe in Jesus today, you have God's testimony within your soul. And for those who have this testimony, Jesus is made manifest. And we looked at that word a couple weeks ago. That word means clear or obvious. Jesus' testimony within our soul, my soul, and those who believe in Jesus is irrefutable. Is it for you? Is the testimony of Jesus Christ within your soul irrefutable? Can someone talk you off of that, out of that? To say that Jesus Christ is not the King. He's not the Son of God. He's not the Messiah. I hope you would say today it's irrefutable. It's been tested. It's been proven in my own soul. That Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. And one day he will forever reign, won't he? So are you convinced? Are you convinced about Jesus Christ? It's not like the moon landing, okay? There's some people. I don't know why this is getting popularity, but there was a sports athlete. His name's Steph Curry. And recently he questioned that the moon landing happened. And he's not the only one. There are people out there that question the entire existence of the moon landing, whether it actually took place. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. I wasn't alive. But I will say this. That's a very big hoax to keep secret, isn't it? That's a lot of different people you'd have to keep quiet. So I don't know if the moon landing happened, but I think it did. I think it did. I'm not one of those people that's going to question the moon landing because I don't, I don't really care, honestly. Um, but I'm going to say that it happened. But here's the thing about the moon landing. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. There's a possibility. There's a chance that a huge hoax could have happened. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So I'm not convinced that the moon landing happened, but I am convinced about Jesus Christ. I'm convinced because his testimony is within my soul, and I hope that testimony is in your soul today. You're alive today because of Christ Jesus. Are you? Are you convinced? See, whoever is not convinced about Jesus, John says, is seeking to make God a liar. That's a harsh language, right? Seeking to make God a liar if you say today, I'm not convinced about Jesus Christ because God is convinced. And God has declared it, and God has proven it to this world. So if you say today, I'm not convinced about Jesus Christ, you're seeking to make God a liar. And none of us should ever go down that path. Because God cannot lie. He's incapable of it. Because Jesus has been made man, manifest to this world, and God cannot lie. So the testimony we have received from God is eternal life, because being... Believing in Jesus is equivalent to having eternal life, and I hope we've learned that through the course of our Christian journey here, that if you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. They're the same thing. Jesus says, we looked at from John, he just read it from John 14, the way, the truth, and the life. But you could also say this about Jesus, he's the key, he's the door, and he's the treasure inside the door. He's all of them. That if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. If you miss out on Jesus Christ, you miss out on everything. So all of us have to be convinced today that Jesus is who he said he is. And if we have Jesus, we have eternal life and everything we could ever need or want. And if we don't have Jesus, we only have death. The testimony of Jesus is all over this world, primarily in the souls of these sitting here in this room who have been redeemed. And it perfectly lines up with who God is. It perfectly lines up with the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of John, and all the disciples. But you might be saying, yeah, pastors have to be really into Jesus, right? It's your job to be really into Jesus. It's your, you remember you ever one of those teachers growing up that was all about math and thought math ruled the entire world? And you're like, really, man? There's also English and lunch and recess and 
dating and things like that. And the guy was convinced that math was the only thing that existed. And sometimes I think we think that way about pastors, that pastors, you have to be uber into Jesus because it's your job to be that way. That's not why I am. I am because I've been convinced. At age 26, Jesus convinced my soul that he is who he said he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And he should be given everything. And it's all credit to Christ. And I hope you have that convincing within you today. Without Jesus, we cannot know God and we cannot be loved by God. Do you see how important he is? If you want to know the God of the universe, you start and you end with Jesus Christ. So if we have Christ's testimony within our soul today through the Holy Spirit and the several proofs we found through the book of 1 John, then we await something called eternal life. And that's, that's a phrase that maybe we've overused to the fact that it doesn't have any meaning or significance anymore. But it should. Eternal life is a really, really big deal. And I want to encourage you that as we finish the book of 1 John here, or try to today, that you take this book and reread it. Reread it this week. Reread the book of 1 John. Notice the language. Notice the themes. Notice what John is trying to pull out. And notice the confidence that John is trying to build within your soul. See, we come to verses 11 and 13 of 1 John 5, and I'm going to say these are some of the most encouraging verses in the entire scripture, because I think they are. We're going to look at them here in a little bit. I think these are some of the most encouraging verses in all of the word of God. John tells us that we can know that we have eternal life. Not that it's available, that's good enough, but that we can know that we actually obtain it, have it, own it, are waiting for it. And I want to praise the Lord for the confidence of eternal life with God. And I want you to have that confidence today. So let's look at these verses here. Verses 11 to 13, listen to the language. John says, This is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. In his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Listen to this phrase that you may know that you have eternal life. Christmas presents are still being given here today, that you can know that you have eternal life. Do you want eternal life with God? Do you want eternal life with God? Let's, let's ask this even a different way. Do you want to know that you have eternal life with God? I will clearly, confidently say yes to those two questions. I want it, and I want to know that I have it already. And I hope you do too. And the answer to gaining both of these things is simply being convinced about Jesus. It's that simple. If you're convinced about Jesus Christ, you have eternal life, and you should know that today. But if you're not convinced about Jesus Christ, that is the goal, because that, that's where everything lies, all the treasures, all the hope, all the security lies in being convinced about Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend the rest of our time convincing ourselves about Jesus Christ because it's equivalent to believing in Jesus. And we're not creating a new doctrine here, okay? John 3.16 says, whoever believes in him, and I believe that being convinced about Jesus is the same thing as believing in Jesus. So we're not creating a new doctrine. When you are convinced of something, especially this profound, it changes you permanently. It has to. When you're convinced that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, you change. And I am a firsthand testimony of that. When age 25, I was walking in a Christian religion. I was going to Christian church. I was learning a lot of Christian doctrines. And at age 26, I was convinced of who Jesus was. And from that moment on, I changed. I began to change my habits and my language and my loves and my desires and my practices because of Jesus. He changed me radically. And I hope that you have that change in your life already. Maybe you can remember a time where you trusted in Jesus Christ and everything changed from that moment on and it's still different today. Because me, being convinced means this. I looked up the word convinced. It means being completely certain about something or having a firm footing. Isn't that a cool way to put it? 
being completely certain or having a firm footing. Are you that way about Christ Jesus? Certain, completely. Your footing is firm. It can't be moved because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm not going to leave you hanging here. If you're not convinced here, this is my goal today, okay? To convince you by the Spirit's help. That's what has to happen. But to believe in Jesus or to be convinced about Jesus, we have to figure out what Jesus said about himself. These are things Jesus said about himself. I'm just going to tick off several ones in a row, and hopefully they'll be right there on the screen. Jesus said he is the Son of God. The Son of God. He's not just a man who lived upon the earth. Jesus says, I am God's only begotten Son. That's a profound statement, isn't it? Can you see why a lot of people didn't like to hear that? Jesus said, I'm not a man standing before you. I am the Son of God who became a man. That's a profound thing to say, but Jesus said it. I am the Son of God. He also said he is the Christ, the Messiah, the only Savior of the world. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are Jesus' words. Have you been so convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that you see everything differently than you once did? Are you? Do you see everything differently than you once did? Do you see everything differently than the world does? Because the world has a way of seeing things. They have a worldview as well. They see things as they see them. Everything's as they see it. It's tangible. It's right in front of them. They believe what they can see only. But those who follow Jesus Christ believe in something beyond tangible sight and feel and hearing. We believe in something that is called faith. That Jesus Christ is real, even though I've never set my eyes upon him. My soul sees him and knows him and experiences him. And that's, that's hard to explain to people who have never had that experience, to go, my soul sees Christ. It knows Christ. It senses him. I'm near him. Unless you've ever experienced that, you don't know what that's like. But I hope you have. Jesus also said that he's our Lord and Master. The Lord and Master of this universe. He's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is the Master. And you don't have to make Jesus Lord. You just have to submit to him as Lord. Because Jesus is Lord regardless if we want him to be or not. And even the world, unfortunately, the world is just not submitting to him as Lord because Jesus already is Lord. And I want you to understand that today. And then he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that means to God and to heaven. There's no way to get to God and there's no way to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. There is no other. One of the coolest things I think the scripture teaches about Jesus Christ is it says he is the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great value. And that comes from Matthew chapter 13. Write that down if you haven't looked at that passage before. Jesus is the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great value. Which means Jesus' worth is beyond your comprehension. His value and his worth surpasses anything you've ever known. He's worth to give up your entire life for. Once I experienced that, once I realized that, and I understood the value and the worth of Jesus Christ, I chased him like I never chased anything before. I wanted him more than I wanted anything ever in my life before, and I wasn't going to be cut short of Christ. Because I was convinced. I was convinced of his value and his great worth, and I hope you have today. Are you convinced of his value? Would you rather have Jesus than anything? If it was lose Jesus or lose anything else valuable, would you rather lose the thing than the Lord himself? Would you? Jesus said he is the eternal life. He is eternal life. To have Jesus is to have life. To have life is to have Jesus. They're the same. They're equivalent. And Jesus also said he's the only refuge from God's wrath. Jesus is the only refuge that exists from the storm that will one day take over this entire world called the wrath of God. There's one refuge alone, and that is Jesus Christ. I mean, these are think about these things that Jesus said about himself. These are profound things. If you are convinced in these things, think about what must have transpired in your soul 
For you to be able to say yes to every single one of these. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the treasure. He's the eternal life. And he is the only refuge from God's wrath. Can you say that today? Are you convinced of that today? I hope that you are. But again, I don't want to even leave us there. I want to look at what it means, what it looks like to be convinced about Jesus. What does it actually look like in a life, in a soul that has this convincing I want to look at several different things that I believe comes into a soul once that person is convinced about Jesus Christ. Number one is joy. The first thing I experienced when I was convinced about Jesus Christ was joy. And honestly, I thought it was going to be the opposite. I thought God was just a, a scary guy in the sky and no, no one I really wanted to be around or spend time with. But once I looked to Christ, joy flooded my soul. And it was joy unlike this world has ever experienced because the joy of this world is up and down, right? It's based on circumstances and things that you get and the storms that you go through. But the joy of Christ is rooted within me. It's deep and it transcends this world. And it's the joy that basically convinces you you're not going to perish one day, Todd. You're not going to perish along with those who are still in their sins. You will not because you are founded on the Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, I want to convince you, that's a joy that makes a difference. That is a joy that makes a difference in a soul. When someone has that kind of joy, you will notice. You will notice. And I hope that joy is noticeable in my life and in your life, that you have that kind of hope in Jesus Christ. The next one is love. Love, true, sacrificial love towards God. Desiring to make God happy. You desire to give back to God for all the love he's given you. And it's not begrudgingly, right? I think everyone knows what it's like to do something begrudgingly, to go, okay, I don't want to, but you want me to, therefore I will. I don't think that's love. I think love is a bursting out of your soul to say, Lord, what is it you desire? What can I do for you? What can I give back because of all that you've given to me? So joy followed by love. But as we look through 1 John, we find this thing called obedience. If Christ is the Lord and he is the Lord, then whatever he says goes. If he's the Lord and the master and he's the one that actually knows the steps to heaven, why would I ever want to disobey him? If he's the way to heaven, don't I want to obey him? Don't I want to follow him? Don't I want to line up exactly behind Jesus Christ and do exactly as he teaches me? Because he knows the way. In fact, he is the way. Obedience flows from the soul who knows that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And when you follow Jesus Christ and when you obey Jesus Christ, you won't misstep. If you stay close to Jesus Christ, you will get there. You will finish where you desire to finish. And that is all glory to Christ as well. Hey, here's another one. Communication. When you're convinced about who Jesus Christ is, you talk to him. You talk to God. And you learn from God. You listen to his word. You communicate, right? Because every healthy relationship has to have communication. Do you guys agree with that? That communication is key in every single relationship. Well, so it is with the Lord. If you're convinced about who the Lord is, you communicate with him and vice versa. Does he talk to you through his word? Do you speak to him in prayer? Do you seek his face? Do you seek to know him greater and, and more intimate than you do right now? Because if there's no communication, there's no lasting relationship either. Here's another one, faithfulness and commitment. Because the Christian life is difficult, it's a difficult journey, it's, it's full of obstacles, it's full of people who want to hurt you and speak against you, but when you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're convinced about who he is, you're willing to go forward no matter the difficulty, no matter what it means, because you're convinced that you're never going back to the world. Because the only two options in this life are go forward in faith to Christ or live in this world and belong to this world. There's only two options. And if you don't have Christ, you get everything the world gets. And that's not an encouraging thing. I'm not trying to encourage you that way. But if you have Christ, you have everything that comes to him as well. So are you faithful? Are you committed to this relationship? Another one that goes along with this is determination. Determination. It's going to take what I'm going to call a holy violence and a purpose 
to go forward when others are standing still and everyone else is going the opposite way. You ever come across an obstacle in life or in the Christian life? You ever come across an obstacle in following Jesus Christ? Some hardship. Some person that doesn't like that in your life. Some trial. Has there ever been an obstacle you've had to overcome in order to follow Jesus in spite of pain? I have. I'm sure many of you have experienced this as well. There are times in life that we have to go forward in spite of obstacles, and determination is a characteristic of all those who are convinced of Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow him no matter what. I have to follow him no matter what. If you guys don't go with me, I'm going anyways. If you speak against me, I'm going anyways. If there's pain and hardship in following Jesus, I'm going anyways because what is the other option? I don't have the way. I don't have the truth. I don't have the life. That's not an option for me. That's not an option for those who have been convinced. I'm going forward no matter what because of who he is, because of how valuable he is, because of what will happen if I am found on Christ on the last day. Can any obstacle be big enough, warrant me going backwards and saying, you know what, too hard, too difficult. There's this book, this old book I love to read. It's called A Pilgrim's Progress. You guys ever read that book? So there's this man, his name is Christian, uh, in the book of Pilgrim's Progress, and his entire goal is to get to the celestial city, and that means heaven. He's journeying his way on to heaven. Well, along that path, a lot of different friends come into his life. And one of, this, one of these friends that come into Christian's life, his name is Pliable. And Pliable starts the journey with Christian and says, Christian, I, want, I too want to go to heaven. What's it going to take? And he says, we, we need to follow this way. We need to go the way that we've been taught. So Pliable lines up behind Christian and they start going the same way. Well, what happens is they fall into this thing called a bog. It seems like a big mud pit or something like that. And as soon as they both fall into it, Pliable's done. He abandons the path. He gets out of the bog. He goes back to the place he came from, and he abandons the path altogether. But you know what Christian does? He trudges through the bog. He gets to the other side. He gets out of the bog. He wipes himself off, and he goes forward because he has to get to the end. And that leads to my last thing that characterizes those who have been convinced of who Jesus is, and that's endurance endurance. We don't stop until we arrive at the gates of the kingdom of heaven because quitting is equivalent to abandonment. We can't quit. I, regardless of where you are in this journey in Christianity, you have to go forward and so do I. I'm a pastor so I must be done, right? No, wrong. I must go forward until the end and so must you. Are these things in your life, and I don't say perfectly, I know none of us are yet where we need to be, but you should see evidence of these things in your life if you've been convinced about who Jesus is because you know him and you believe him and you believe that following him will equate eternal life. And abandoning Jesus Christ is abandoning everything good and riches and security and joy and hope. What is the reason people do not produce these fruit? I do believe that it's disbelief. Or, if you'll humor me, not being convinced about Jesus Christ. They're not convinced. There was a time in my life that I, I thought I was convinced, but I was pulled in so many different directions from this world. I didn't believe he was the treasure in the field. I believe he was important to saving me from my sins, but I wasn't convinced that he was of more value than what the world offers because that's how I lived. I chase the things of the world. I love the things of this world. And that means there was within me at least some doubt of who Christ is. And that's a scary place to be. And I want to say to you today, if there's even an ounce of this doubt within us, we have to target it. Because Satan knows it's there too. He knows that doubt exists. He knows that it's there. He knows that we're not entirely convinced about Jesus Christ. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to find that pressure point and he's going to squeeze and he's going to highlight the fact that Jesus isn't who you think he is. He's not quite as valuable as the scriptures say. He maybe isn't the son of God. Maybe he's just a man. And the devil is going to find those pressure points and he's going to squeeze until you surrender. And the only way you won't surrender is if you're entirely convinced about who Jesus is. We have to move quickly. So 
What is the solution? What is the solution if we find ourselves still not entirely convinced about Jesus Christ? And I want to take you through a little exercise here today, okay? Because my answer to this question is, what is the solution if you're not entirely convinced? I want you to take Christ, and I want you to take something else very valuable in your life. And I want you to line those two things next to each other, okay? And we're going to do this here as a little exercise. I know this is probably not everybody's thing, but I'm going to take what the world would consider one of the biggest, best treasures of this world, money. And I'm going to line it next to Jesus Christ. So if you'll go on this journey with me quickly here, I'm going to line money and Jesus next to each other and see which one comes out on top. Anybody like a good sports match, right? Like a good fight? Like good, like, let's see who wins this battle. Jesus and money, they're both powerful things, right? So let's see which one comes out on top. Let's look at money first and foremost, the contender. Money gives power, doesn't it? On earth, at least, money gives power. You have money, you have power. You have status in this world. Money gives power, money gives status. It just does. The ones who have wealth and riches are the ones who have status and power on this earth. It also can give you security, at least on the earth, right? You guys would agree with that, right? That's not taking money too far. Money gives power, status, and security on earth. Does it buy happiness? Is that debatable? Some people believe money can buy happiness. If you have money, you can get whatever you want, right? Have whatever you want. As much as the world can give you, take your money and go get it. So maybe money does even buy happiness. Maybe we can even give it that one. If you have money, you can buy anything you want. You can get out of a lot of different situations that other people find themselves in. But here's something else money can do. It can be stolen. Right? Can money be stolen? Do I have to convince you of that today? That if you have money, it could be stolen? Can it be lost? We just watched uh, It's a Wonderful Life a couple weeks ago. And in that movie, um, they lose $8,000, right? And the entire movie kind of hinges on the fact that they lost this $8,000. Because money can be, it can be lost, it can be stolen, it can be gone. Here's another thing about money. It's always losing value. Inflation. So you have a certain amount, a certain part of your year. You ever watch some kind of old movie or TV show and they're talking about the money that they have and like $20,000 is like, I don't remember what movie we were watching, but $20,000 was like what this really rich guy made for the entire year. And I'm like, 20 grand? You know, what's that guy have today? And that's the thing about money. It's always losing value. You always have to get more of it. You always have to get more of it. Chase it. Here's something else about money. It's temporary. It's temporary. Even a guy like Steve Jobs realized that when he died. Really, really rich. One of the wealthiest people in America, at least in the world. Gone. His money doesn't go with him, and that's the next thing. It gets passed to someone else when you die. No matter what money you attained and went after and chased, your money, your hard work is going to somebody else. It cannot protect you from the wrath of God. No matter how rich you are, no matter how much money you have, it is not a refuge from the wrath of God. You cannot buy God's favor. It cannot atone for your sins. No amount of money has ever done it. You cannot atone for your sins with a check or a credit card. You cannot be reconciled to God with money. See all of these things that money falls short on? It can't get you back together with God. God can't be bought. It can't get you to heaven. The richest people don't go to heaven. That's not what the scriptures say, is it? If you're rich, if you got money, you'll go to heaven. That's not what it says. It says whoever believes in Jesus. And the last thing about money is it's a false God. And we find that from Scripture. That if you trust in money, if you have money as your God, it's going to let you down. It's going to abandon you when you need it the most. Can we turn our attentions now to Jesus Christ? Money has some good things, right? I'm not poo-pooing entirely on money. But I'm lining it up next to Jesus. And every treasure is going to pale in comparison to Jesus. Let's look at Christ now. He's almighty. His power cannot be calculated. So money's powerful. Jesus is way more powerful. Number two, he grants eternal lofty status to those who follow him. Remember the fishermen? They were really kind of worthless guys. They didn't really have a lot of status and significance in this world. But when they followed Jesus, 
Suddenly they were heirs of the kingdom of God. Next is he gives eternal security to all who love him. Eternal security to all who follow Jesus Christ. Wow. Money can't do that. He gives eternal joy to all who trust in him. Well, the thing about money is you can have it, then you can lose it. You can be rich one day and poor the next. And as soon as you are, the joy goes away too. But with Christ, you have joy forevermore. Joy that transcends this world. Here's another thing about Jesus Christ. He can never be lost or stolen. Never, ever be lost or stolen. If you have Christ, you have him always, forever. Isn't that a great thing to know? It is for me. How about this one? We, we talked about money, how its value decreases. Jesus' value is always at the peak and never diminishes. It's always the highest it can be. So Jesus is incredibly valuable today. And in 10 million years from today, wherever we are, Jesus Christ will be incredibly valuable for those who have him. Never diminishes. Never loses value. Always at the peak. Jesus is by nature eternal. He's not temporary. There's nothing temporary about Jesus Christ. He's an eternal being, and those who follow Jesus Christ have eternity within their souls. Let's go to some more significant things. He blesses those who follow him forevermore. Can anything in this world offer you that? Can anything you find in this world bless you for the rest of eternity? And if you did find that something, wouldn't that thing be incredibly valuable? Well, Christ does that. And here we go with Jesus Christ. It really separates himself from money. He can protect you from the wrath of God. He is a refuge from the storm that awaits this world. If you find Jesus Christ, you are protected. Not one ounce of God's anger or wrath against sin will touch you. Remember the water and the blood. You're cleansed and you're forgiven. And most of all, you're within the refuge of Jesus Christ. Money can't do that. He atones for every one of your sins. Every single sin you've ever committed, Christ has paid for. It's gone. Scripture says he removes it as far as the east is from the west. Money can't do that. Jesus atones for every one of your sins. Jesus does reconcile you to God. Are you getting the picture here? He brings you back to the Father. Let's keep moving. He has the keys to the kingdom of God. I mean, you find Jesus Christ, you find the key, you find the door, you find the treasure. You find everything. And lastly, he is the true son of God. And here's the thing about Jesus Christ. The devil knows it too. And he doesn't want you to have it. He wants you to be deceived and to realize that the things of this world are way more valuable than Jesus Christ because he knows that if you find Jesus and you follow Jesus, you're set up for all eternity. Do you see that here? And I want to convince you today, it's not just money. I think you could place any treasure or God next to Jesus Christ. Do this list. Take it, what it says from Scripture, and see who comes out on top. If you're not yet convinced about Jesus Christ, I think by taking those exercises, it will help. It did for me. I take often, I take things that are pulling my attention and grabbing my desires and I say, okay, let's calculate. Let's calculate. Should I be giving myself to this thing? Should I be abandoning Jesus Christ for this thing or not? Is Jesus still better? And he is. And we must remember this, and I think this is where I'm going to end today. I told you I might have bitten off too much. Being convinced about Jesus equals eternal life. And we can't afford to miss it. There's things in life you can afford to miss, okay? You can not go to Black Friday. You can pay full price for a product, and it probably won't change your life that big of a deal. But if you miss out on eternal life, tragedy forevermore. It can't happen. The last thing I'll end you with is the things, the promises he gives us from chapter 5 and verses 14 to 15. Listen to what it says. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears anything, hears us in whatever we ask, excuse me, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So that if you believe in Jesus, if you're convinced of Jesus and you pray in the center of God's will, think about this today with me. 
You can move the hand of God. You can move the hand of God if you're convinced about his son and you pray in the center of his will. God will act. That's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing that I can move God's hand in prayer simply because of Jesus. Do you see how valuable he is? Am I convincing anyone here who might be on the outskirts today? Jesus is more and better than anything this world could offer you. We're not going to look at the application or the rest of the lesson because it kind of goes all together. And I'm going to, we're going to go into the new year with 1 John a little bit because I do think it's uh, worth to look at the last parts of it. But as we think about this today, I want you to think about these things today. 1 Peter 2.7 says this, and I spoke on this right when I was candidating here at the church, but I think this is one of my favorite phrases and verses about Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Peter 2.7, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Are you convinced about Jesus today? Are you convinced? Is he precious to you and to your soul? Is he worth giving him your all? Is he, Christian? Is he worth giving him your all? See, countless saints have died for Jesus, believing that very thing. That Jesus is worthy to give him our all. But I want to suggest to you, even before dying, let's begin by living entirely for Christ. And if you're not convinced, and you want to talk more about Jesus Christ, this is why I exist, come talk to me. We'll make an appointment. We'll talk about Jesus Christ. We'll talk about his value and his worth. We'll talk about those doubts that you still have. But more than anything, I want you to search him out yourself and say to him, Lord, you're worthy. You're precious. You're valuable. And I'm ready to give you my all. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this message today. Thank you for even highlighting the fact that we shouldn't move too fast on this and... Uh, Give this its due diligence. Thank you for Jesus Christ, Father. I know that you've convinced my soul, and I thank you for it. And I pray for those here in this room. I don't know where their soul lies, Father, but I know what I have experienced in Jesus Christ. And I pray for these souls, that they too would have this joy and this hope and this security. They would experience the great love and depth and value of Jesus Christ and have such firm footing, such certainty that nothing can move them away from it. Father, you have to do the work within the soul because we're unable to do it without you. I ask that you would, for Christ's sake, first and foremost, and for also for the sake of us, that we would one day have the confidence of eternal life and we would be willing to give Jesus Christ everything that we have. We praise you and we thank you for this time to spend on this today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.